May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. With the beginning of a new school year, a new term, we're going to have a new beginning in our uh, passages that we're looking at in our 1045 service, and we're going to have a a time looking at um, Abraham and Sarah. And we're going to have a think about how their lives uh, help us today in the life of following Christ. And uh, this is right uh, in the very sort of foundations of Scripture, uh, back in the book of Genesis, uh, the very first book in the Bible. And as you probably know, the, f- uh, the first part of the book of Genesis, chapters 1 to 11, uh, has some of the, the wonderful stories which uh, give us uh, the foundation Uh, of our faith. We have creation, we have the fall, uh, where the man and the woman are sent out of the Garden of Eden after eating the fruit. We have the story of Noah and the flood, and we also have the story of the Tower of Babel. All these stories happen in those first 11 chapters of the very first book of the Bible. And it's almost as if uh, in that book, that that first book, you you get lots of beginnings. You get creation, which is a beginning. You get the re-beginning after uh, the flood. And then here in chapter 12, you get a new beginning, as God calls Abraham and Sarah. It is a book of beginnings, and this moment in chapter 12 is a new beginning. Now, just a, just a few little things to show you. This is uh, the area where uh, Abraham sort of uh, uh, begins his journey. I'm sorry if that's not terribly clear. Um, This is obviously what people uh, in Britain call the Middle East, although actually it's probably more accurate to call it Western Asia. Um, And um, uh, if you you think you've got Iraq in the middle, Iran to the right, Syria, Jordan, Israel, and then Egypt down to the bottom left-hand corner. And um, that, that little sort of bit where it says Basra, um, that's actually where um, Abraham starts off. I'm sorry if it's not terribly clear, uh, but, but basically, let's find the next one. There we are, okay? So he starts down the sort of, towards the bottom right-hand corner. He follows the river up. That's the river Euphrates. And then he comes down uh, into uh, the promised land. So that's what Abraham and Sarah do together. So it's, it's interesting just to note Um, In passing, of course, the foundations of our faith are very much rooted in a different culture. Uh, We are are followers of a Middle Eastern, Western Asian faith. That's what the Christian faith is. It has its roots in this part of the world. Um, And of course, uh, that means that ethnically and in terms of ethnicity, Abraham and Sarah certainly wouldn't have been Uh, Caucasian, they would have been uh, sort of olive-skinned Middle Easterners. They might have looked a little bit like this gentleman, or they might have looked like this couple here. Um, Because this story is also about people of age. We're told in the scriptures that Abraham was 75 years old. 
Now, if you know the book of Genesis, you'll know that some of the ages get a bit weird, okay? Some people live to 200, 400, 700, and so on. So you might think, hang on a minute, does that really mean 75 years in the same way that we mean 75 years? The honest answer is, we don't know. But clearly, Abraham and Sarah were people of age. So this is a story that's rooted in a different place, a different ethnicity, and perhaps points towards a different age. And these are all things that we remember uh, as, as the story goes on. I'll leave them up. Is that all right? I'll leave them up um, and we can have a look at... Uh, that isn't Abraham and Sarah, but it might be Abraham and Sarah, okay? So we'll just leave them there. All right. Sorry, I didn't have the passage open, which is how we'll get it open. So, this new beginning, this new beginning. It is a new beginning which is prompted by the Lord. This passage begins with those two words. It says, the Lord said to Abraham. It is his initiative. He has spoken. He begins again. This is not just a good idea, not just a moment when Abraham, uh, uh, like a sort of early nomad, decides to go and live somewhere else. God is at the beginning of this. The Lord said to Abraham. And it is a difficult word it is a word about leaving. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. There's almost a narrowing down in this word to Abraham. Leave your country, your people, your household. Leave these things behind and come journey where? to the land I will show you. It's pretty vague, really, isn't it? It's a big leaving and a vague invitation. And to leave what is familiar, what is comfortable, is always difficult. But for an ancient person, an ancient person in that culture, to leave their country, their people and their household was a very big deal. One writer wrote it like this. He said, To leave home and to break ancestral bonds was to expect of ancient men almost the impossible. This is quite a word to Abraham. Leave and step out. Go to the land I will show you. It is a vague invitation. You don't know where you're going. I'm not really going to tell you very much about it. All I'm going to tell you is that I will show you. Leave everything you have and come and I will show you. But if the leaving and the invitation are vague, the assurance of blessing is profound. In the words that follow, the Lord says to Abraham that he will bless him 
in five different ways on five different occasions. If you, if you listen, uh, you just hear the number of times the word blessing crops up. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is asking him to leave. God is asking him to journey into the vague and the unknown but he is promising to bless him to turn him into a great nation, to give him a great name, to make him a blessing in such a way that he will bless the whole world. Name and nation, promise and blessing, a new relationship which we will see as it, as it unfolds into one of the great biblical words of covenant, a new relationship between the Lord God and the people of his creation. Name and nation, promise and blessing, covenant, which ultimately, of course, leads to the formation of the people of Israel, the story which leads us to Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, and the Messiah for the whole world. So in this moment, in this moment, the Lord is opening up a new chapter, a new part of his story, a story through which he will bless the whole world. And what does Abram do? Beautifully simple. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. There are wonderful moments in Scripture when the people God speaks to argue with him and, and challenge him, and they try and find excuses not to do what he has asked them to do. And I love those moments. I really do. The best one is Moses at the burning bush, who's having this incredible encounter with God. And God's telling him, you're the one who's going to lead my people into, into freedom. And Moses says, no, 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 not me, please, no, 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 don't want it to be me. Abraham's not like that. Abraham went. No words, no conversation, no complaint, no challenge. Simply obedience. The leaving, the invitation into the vague, the unknown, but the promise of blessing is enough. And Abraham steps out and he takes him and his household. We're told that he goes with Sarah and Lot and the people they've acquired. Abraham is clearly a man of some substance. These people and herds and flocks set out and they go to the promised land. They go to the land of Canaan. And we found, we're told that he, he arrives and he goes to this uh, slightly strange place, the great tree of Morah. I haven't a clue what that is. Presumably it's just a very big tree. And he goes there. And the Lord appears to Abraham. There is a sense of confirmation, of validation. I called you. You have traveled. You have come. And look, I am here waiting for you, ready to begin that blessing. 
as I say, so opens a new chapter of the story of God in which he will create a new people for himself to bless them and make them a source of blessing for the whole world and to lead them to a place that they call home. The story of God moves into a new chapter. But there is more to this story than simply seeing it as a milestone in the story of God. Because as Abraham and Sarah respond to the invitation of faith, they show in how they behave what it means to become a disciple. Just as Jesus calls the first disciples by the Sea of Galilee and says, come, follow me, and they leave and follow him. So Abraham and Sarah are, they give us this model of leaving, of following, and of being blessed. And as we look at them, some 4,000 years ago, they're knocking around very roughly 2,000 years before Jesus, we see in them a remarkably up-to-date example of what it means to follow Jesus. A leaving, a stepping out into the unknown, and there finding blessing beyond our wildest dreams. And I just wanted to think for a few minutes about that. What might the leaving be for you? Abraham was given these very specific instructions. Leave your country, your people and your household. For most modern Christians, we are not called to leave our families, to, to turn our backs on them. And any reading of the, of the New Testament, particularly of the Gospels, will show that Jesus took family very seriously. Remember what Jesus does as he's dying on the cross? He looks down and he sees his mother and the disciple. He loves John and he says to his mother, behold your son, and to, his, to John, behold your mother. In other words, he's looking after her, even at that moment. Family is important, always has been, always will be. But what is the leaving? What might it mean to leave behind in our following after Jesus? Might it mean that Jesus is asking us to leave other things behind? What about the habit that drags us down? The habit that stops us being the people that God calls us to be? whatever that habit might be. What do we do when we feel down and low and broken? Where do we go? What do we do? What do we watch? What do we eat? What do we drink? What do we smoke? What happens to us in those moments that actually ends up contributing to our destruction? Might the leaving be leaving that behind? Might the leaving be leaving behind the voices in our head which tell us we are rubbish? The voices which rehearse our self-doubt and our lack of self-esteem that tell us all the things we can't and don't and won't be able to do. 
Might those be the leaving behinds? The definitions of my success given to me by other people, the oughts and shoulds which others use to break us down and belittle us. Might it be the worship of idols, whether they be physical ones or far more powerful, the idols we carry around in our heads of trying to be something or do something, an image of ourselves which we think we should be fulfilling and we know that we always feel short and simply becomes a new source of feeling rubbish. Our overwork, our over-effort, our unforgiveness, the grudges we bear, the way others hurt us and we cannot release them. I know I'm laboring the point, but there are things we need to leave behind. And most of them have become so familiar to us that it's really, really hard to let go of them. They have defined us for so long that we are actually reassured by them. If it was difficult for Abraham to leave behind his country, his people and his family, it is difficult for us to leave behind those things which make us less than God would have us be. Do you dare to believe what God says about you? Do you dare to step out into the unknown and believe that you are as precious as he says you are? Do you dare to step out and believe that you are as loved as he says you are? Do you dare to step out and taste the glorious freedom of the children of God. It might sound a bit vague, but trust me, if you've caught even the edge of it, it is the most wonderful thing ever. Because we begin to be defined by what God says about us, not by what other people say about us, or even by what we say about us. In our house, we've um, recently had a conversation with um, uh, with Joe's sister, and I, I heard secondhand the one of the the pearls that Joe's sister gave us. And she's not a Christian; wouldn't call herself a Christian. But she said this: she said, "Comparison is the thief of joy." Isn't that lovely? Comparison is the thief of joy. Who are you comparing yourself to? Might it be time to stop and instead be defined by who Jesus says you are? Leave that stuff behind and step into the unknown of believing what he says. I know I've said this before, but, but, but 30 years ago, when I had the privilege of living in India for six months, uh, and forgive me, it's, it's, it's very out of date now, but 
it did have a very deep impression on me. I met so many wonderful, wonderful people. And lots of them stick in my mind. But, but the lady I want to tell you about is, is a lady who had been a Brahmin. Now, I think for anyone who's not Indian, it's really difficult to understand the, the, the caste system and how powerful it is. You get a glimpse of it, but it's really difficult to understand it. But whenever anyone told me about this lady, she, they, said, they would tell you her name and they'd say, and she used to be a Brahmin. She'd become a Christian. Now, I never really got to the bottom of it, of whether she'd become a Christian and therefore she'd become a Dalit, an untouchable. Or whether she'd become a Christian and married a Christian who was a Dalit and then she became a Dalit. I never quite worked that out. The point is, she'd been a Brahmin, she'd become a Christian and she was now a Dalit. She had gone from the top to, to the bottom, in fact, below the bottom. I have never in my 54 years come across anybody so overwhelmingly full of joy at having become a Christian. Never. And it wasn't all cheesy and easy, but it was there. And whenever she talked about Jesus, she just beamed. Living in a tiny little house, just with a husband and three children. But she had found him. In other words, she refused to be defined by what she had lost and only defined by what she had gained. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? To only be defined by what we have found in Jesus. And surely that is the beginning of our blessing. To leave, to step out into the unknown and then to find the blessing. And have a think about these words. I will make your name great. I will make your name great. Imagine the Lord is sitting in front of you or standing in front of you. And he says your name. And he says you are great. Not great in some naff patronising, you were always going to say that, weren't you, kind of way. But really great because he believes you are great. I know you're great because I can see the situation you're in. I can see the job that you do and I know it's really tough and you keep going and you do it to the best of your ability. And other people undermine you or make it difficult. But you keep going. I know you're great. I can see how difficult it is in your family. All the things you have to do and the way you're often taken for granted. But you keep going. And I know you're great. And I know you've got all kinds of problems. I know money is tight. And I know there are all sorts of other issues. But you keep going. And I know you're great. I will make your name great. And just imagine, pushing the imaginations here, but just imagine the, the Lord is, is talking to the angels in heaven. I don't know. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. He's talking to the angels in heaven. He says, look, have you seen, have you seen, have you seen? Have you seen Dareth? Have you seen Huda? Have you seen Carol? Have you seen, have you seen these? Have you seen these? Oh, look at them. They're great. They're great. Because they keep going. Aren't they great? 
I will make your name great. And maybe in heaven they're saying, yeah, they're just great, aren't they? Because they keep going. And sometimes it's really tough, but they keep going. I will make your name great. I will bless you. I will turn up in the most unexpected of places. When, when Abram goes to the, to the land of Canaan, guess what? It's full of Canaanites, okay? Abram travels through the land as far as the site of the great tea of Morah of Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Not friendly. The Lord appeared to Abraham. I will bless you. You will encounter me. Even when it's difficult, even when there's people you're a bit scared of. I'll be there. I'll be with you. I will bless you. And I will make you part of my new people. This creation that I am, I am bringing out. This beautiful bride of Christ, the church, the people of God. The people that one day the whole world will look at and say, My word, that funny group of people, they were right. I will make you part of this new creation. Precious and chosen and honoured by God. And I will lead you home to that place where you will know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you belong. And while I'm doing all that, I'll make you a blessing to other people. That my spirit will so fill you that you will be a blessing to others. That other people will see you and be drawn to you. That your kindness and your love and your generosity will be a blessing to them. I will bless them through you. And as the people of God, that's one of our core callings, isn't it? To be a blessing to other people. To give away this thing that we have received. To live in such a way that we want others to enter into the fullness of life. That they can find their place in God's purposes. That they can live in a full and joyful and delighted way. Leave behind the garbage. We're all carrying it around with us. Step out into the unknown and find his blessing. Find who you are in him. Find that your name is great in his hands. Amen.